pull up a bar stool. All right, I'm going to ask JR, John Robinson, my backup manager and CEO, to join me again today, which means we'll be talking entrepreneurship stuff. And today's focus will be on business roles and specifically related to are you a better marketer, a closer, or a leader? And what are some good habits, bad habits related to those things? So, should be fun, should make me uncomfortable as always. Sit back, relax, pop a bottle. Let's do it. Hey everybody, John here from JohnLimmer.com and John Limmer Digital on Facebook. Here's another edition of the Social Media Pubcast where each week we invite to the virtual pub and we get drunk on entrepreneurship. So this week I've got JR, John Robinson, my backup CEO, business manager back on the show. John, how you doing? Happy Monday. Hey, happy day after Easter. Uh, for those people watching in PHC Entrepreneurs, I got... Uh, some eggs and stuff, <laughs> some uh, interesting artsy stuff. Uh, also, I guess happy pa- Passover, happy whatever you're celebrating right now. Um, I know you got some plans for what you want to talk about today, and I see you nodding. Where where you want to go with this? Well, I would love to to go into all the roles that we play in entrepreneurship. When you're starting a business, there are several, several roles that that uh, one takes on. And a lot of us take on so many roles that we are good at, some roles we take on that we're not that great at. But there's three roles that I want to kind of narrow us down to. And that's a marketer, a closer, and a leader. So those are the three roles that I wanted to talk a little bit about. And before I go there, what are all the roles that you've seen that you've you've had to be as as an entrepreneur? I can think about cinnamon rolls right now. Uh, right, I figured I figured you were going to use a, a food analogy after Easter I, dinner rolls. I was waiting. So for what that. various roles have I uh, had through this business? Mm-hmm. Oh man! Um, I mean, certainly marketer, uh, customer service uh, owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, a little bit on tech side, designer. Uh, you know, it's funny because you know I even go back to like my MBA days. I didn't even realize I was a marketer at the time because it wasn't. I wasn't called a marketer, but really, I did marketing, advertising, content. So I do content. I'm a blogger. I mean, yeah, there's lots of stuff in there. So let, let's go to the marketer one first. So what is your definition of a marketer now? And is that the same definition as you had when you were at the MBA and when you went into entrepreneurship on your own? Marketer to me um, is someone using strategies to attract business. So in a very broad sense, I guess. Okay. 
So, so I say attract because it's not, it's not always, okay, you can run ads, uh, create content to attract business. It's not necessarily just, you know, running emails and saying, buy my stuff. It's everything that kind of lines up that funnel, attracts people into that funnel to eventually, hopefully, buy. But I think, I think, I think without, a, I like without a sale at some point, you're not really a marketer. Okay, I, I, I hear you. So I, I'll add on that because I think a marketer to me is someone that, that knows how to get a story told and someone who knows how to have that compelling story told and then tell it to people and then see if they tell it to others, if they buy, whatever the, the action is, click. They don't even have to buy. So if they just engage with you, I think that's what a marketer has evolved for me is that they they create awareness for that's, whatever it is nonprofit marketer versus profit marketer true, you name but it. somewhere along the line that effort is attracting revenue but if, if it's nonprofit it's attracting donations your your end goal it doesn't have to be with that person it could be that they share the word they spread the word whatever that you eventually bring in revenue Right. So you lead me perfectly into closer, because that's what I believe. That's what I believe the role of a closer is. It's in in, in baseball terms. Let, let's what what is a closer in baseball? Someone who ends the game, who is a pitcher who, you know, in a high stress situation, uh, holds the lead, keeps the lead. Okay. So do you see any parallels between the two of a marketer playing seven innings of getting everything to the point to where a closer comes in and seals a deal? Yeah, I mean, I think you could say a closer would be like a, an actual salesperson. Because um, hey. you know, I'm, I'm not a big sales guy, so, but I don't have a sales guy. But I could technically have then someone come in and Closes the deal, I guess. Well, speak. I guess uh, speaking of an, a recent experience with you, didn't you just get I a did. car? Yes. Did you did you go through a process where there were several people who came in the room, and then one person finally closed you? Uh, the whole no, car buying purchase. It, it, oh. No, the really annoying part of it because it was an easy sale. It's an easy sale. <laughs> The really annoying part is how they get you with the the finance guy, and like they try to get you with all these extra, um, you know, uh, coverages and stuff like that. I'm like, no. Can I ask you why? I, no, I just don't want it. <laughs> like, well, I think you'd be making a. I, I, that's fine. No, like, that, that's that's funny because like the, the, my sales guy was no like. If he he might be a terrible sales guy, which is what I appreciate because he he isn't pushy at all. But he also may have understood that I wanted to buy this car, so shouldn't have to be that pushy. But yeah, it, uh, typically that that process isn't very fun. Yeah, no, it, it's not. It's not, and I would tend to say that the finance guy is more of a closer because they're trying to to get all of the numbers to be to where they get the most profit to get the most revenue blah 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 so hmm uh, yeah I can see that now now that I look back on it but let's stay on marketer so do you believe that you can become a better marketer 
in general? And if so, how do you become a better marketer now? And considering it a role, it's a role, a marketer. I think uh, becoming a better marketer would be um, doing more to listen uh, to requests and what people want and uh, maybe doing a better job of evaluating the numbers of what, what works and what doesn't, what resonates with people. I, I admittedly use use my gut quite a bit when it comes to some of my marketing. Um, I guess that would be a way to improve. Yeah, feedback. You know, feedback is, you know, important for sure. And do you find yourself seeking a lot of feedback lately or how, how does that go each year? How do you know, you know, what works and what doesn't oh, work? I mean, I know what works, what doesn't work. First of all, based on just results. Um, but, you know, we do collect feedback, too, as part of the process. So someone who's been uh, either a customer or been in the, on the list for a certain amount of time will get an email, ask for feedback. Or if you join PHC, you'll get um, an email after a certain amount of time requesting feedback, looking for testimonials on training programs, that kind of thing. So uh, we do already collect feedback now, and that does drive some of what, um, you know, we determine we're going to do. So I think the mistake is, you know, making a big deal out of every piece of feedback and like, oh, you're, you're right, you're right, you're right, and we're going to make all these changes. If you're kind of hearing some themes and similar stories from people and, and you realize that, yeah, this could actually be better, I'm going to do this. Yeah, no, I like that. And as you are a, an avid reader for certain content, is there are you do you do anything? Do you listen to any podcasts? Do you do anything from a marketing side to just sharpen up those skills? I really just read because and, and um, yeah, much of much of what I consume because because again, I don't like I don't enjoy the typical marketing content um, because it's so sales heavy it treats people as numbers um it's about a lot of times a certain sense of manipulation and uh, trying to you know get people to perform a certain action and i understand that there's some you know that that's just kind of the nature of the beast in some ways but it's also what pushes me away from a lot of that marketing content out there and i don't really enjoy it and i don't so I don't spend a lot of time in it. So really, um, sharpening my skills isn't really based on listening to podcasts or anything like that. I think uh, some of the blogs I read um, are along those lines, but I would say the vast majority of the content I read is very boring, fact-based content. Yeah. Now, I'd agree with you. And I mean, even behind me, I, a lot of the books, for those that can see the video, a lot of them are marketing books, and um, mm, I wouldn't if I wouldn't say that I have a go-to marketing book right now. If you say, "Hey, what's the book that somebody should read to to improve their their marketing skills?" and I've paid for seminars and I've done a lot of training. I used to be head of marketing at a couple of Fortune 100 companies, and I would still say, "Man, how could I sharpen my marketing skills?" I don't, I don't really felt like, I don't feel like I, I actually have just exposing myself to a lot of stuff, yeah. 
but I wouldn't say that there was a go-to podcast. Uh, maybe there's a go-to author. I, I would say Seth Godin is is one that that I have found to have a lot of value achieved or attained from him. And while he isn't the end all, I still think that there's one piece of training that's not out in the world that much, and that's empathy. And you started to talk a little bit about it, about, you know, if we listen to what our, you know, prospects and customers are, are hearing and, and, and are saying or seeing or experiencing, you know, getting feedback and really practicing listening to feedback and then making decisions. Because I would even say you do this very well. We get a lot of, of feedback on, you know, to do this or do that. And if you listen to everybody's feedback, you won't, you'll be all over the place. Yeah, and I think that's where and, I was in the beginning. You know, where do you want me to go? Yeah. And people would send me in all kinds of di- different directions. Right. Yeah. So, so we'll move from marketer to closer. Now, do you subscribe to there's a difference between the two as far as a role? You know, I guess it just depends on how you, you use the word closer. I mean, I, I definitely, I guess I interpret mm-hmm. it as being a salesperson who takes a lead and closes it out. And to a point, I do that um, with some of my marketing. Because if you've expressed interest in something, um, you know, you may fall into a certain funnel, whether it's email funnel or uh, Facebook ads. Um, I think you just have, I have this, this vision of the closer as being this slick haired uh, 80s guy, uh, you know, drinking martinis or something, uh, trying to sell you something you don't need. Um, yeah, yeah. Now I get that. I get that. How about this? How about we call it a stage? Because I think you're. I think you're right. I think that there's an automated closer, like meaning your content and the way that you send an email or in a sequence or some type of outreach. But I also think the customer service or member relations is a closer as well. Because hmm. I know for I know Tracy when Tracy answers questions. I don't think we've, and you can you correct me on this. I don't think we've purposely said, "Hey, close mm-hmm. this person." It's more of just mm-hmm. be helpful, and then the close kind of happens. What What yeah. do you think? I, I mean, I think that's pretty consistent with our overall messaging. Um, we're not pushy. <laughs> There's a line, right? Uh, you want the sale. You need sales to be to stay in business, uh, but we can't be. I don't want to be pushy because I don't want anybody buying something that they'll later later regret. That does nothing for me. So regardless, so first of all, if you ask for a refund, that's a lost. A, that's a sunk cost. I mean, most. I don't know if most marketers think about it this way, but like for example, if you sign up for um, a month of PHC Elite and $147. And I don't get $147. I get $147 minus PayPal or Stripe fees. Um, so it could be 140 it could be 142 something like that. Um, anyway, it's, it's a small thing. But then they're like, they're not happy. 
and they want a refund, I don't give them 140, 142. I give them 140, you know, the full amount. Was it 147? So, so it's yeah. not only do I lose that 147, I actually come out in the negative as a result of that. So, I don't want anybody signing up for something that unless they're sure about it. But there's also just a matter of word of mouth, and you want people who will advocate for you and and uh, love you know love your product, love your service, love the community, and and try to bring in others. And um, I think part of it's that whole trust factor, and and being pushy just starts on the wrong foot. Yeah, dude, I love I love that connection that you're making here because I just experienced. I would describe it as a pushy close through email. And I'm not going to mention who it is, but there was a particular person who sent this end of the month offer that said, we want our largest mm-hmm. sales oh, month ever. Okay. And yeah. So that's what he says. Like, oh, we, we want our largest sales month ever. And with that being said, we're going to discount all of our current content, let's say courses and mastermind or whatever. And we're going to discount it. And I kid you not, at the end of that email, it said 98% discounted. 98%. So it's one or two things. One, a lie. Or two, you've been gouging the hell out of people. Right. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. And then this whole thing of you'll never get this deep down discounted price ever again. Discounts. It just sounds sleazy. Right. Yeah. And and of course it works with people. Didn't work for me. And I was tempted a little bit because I'm like, okay, well, it's it's research. You know, let's see how everybody else do it. And then you're you're a king of this. You're like, I don't even want to see what they're doing. And I get curious, like, all right, well, what are they offering for this? And it really doesn't matter what they're offering. It's, it's what we offer. But um, reeling myself back in, it was, it was annoying. It was annoying. And then what it made for me, it made me unsure about what price, it, what's real and, and pricing. If you've 98% discounted something. That you said was really, really valuable. Your coaching, your mastermind, your classes, and now all of a sudden, just because you want to reach a goal at the end of the month, that you're discounting it to ninety-eight percent. Now I would never trust buying again because I don't know. I don't. I don't know if this is going to be the it best price like ever. Desperation, and yeah, I, I think what this again. I, I don't know who this is, and I. You may be pitching it wrong, but. What it would do for me is I, I will no longer trust this person's prices going forward. They don't mean anything. And for sure. There, there's always a, a, a deep, deep discount available, and the value of that product may be very low. Um, and really, the desperation is a bad look. Just, why are they so desperate? Why can't they reach their goals? What's, what's their deal? Um, so it sends a lot of really bad messages. So that, that, that reads, I mean, based on how you're 
kind of reading it back to me. It reads like it's all about me, not about you. It's all about help me reach this this goal. Um, I, I agree. Uh, you're you're spot on, and you know who it is, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> but yeah, you're you're spot on, and I didn't even think about that. Till you just said that. When when I'm reading content that says our goal, our goal, biggest month ever, it is talking about theirs, their goal, not yours. I can't even imagine us doing any campaign design like that. That says we want the biggest April ever. And help us get there. We have 48 hours left and we're discounting everything. So by we, by the way, we just goal. had our biggest month, biggest March ever. But it wasn't because it wasn't because oh. of any type of messaging like that. What 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 do you think it was be, because of? I mean, it's natural growth over time, so something that's more predictable, first of all, as opposed to like trying to have some new big promotion all the time. Um, you know, the fact yeah. that we're going to this. Um, different training program format so we had a new training program that um this month um that was very popular and the fact that phc elite is now 147 um PHC, you know we got uh we got a base of yeah the foundation now that, that's that's the biggest difference and why we're not like that that person is that we now rely on monthly recurring revenue and also kind of annual recurring revenue and as our foundation so any new product anything like that any pro- like those are just kind of add a cherry on top but we have a foundation of what we can expect every month from through through phc elite phc basic phc entrepreneurs um and even to a, a point the training programs we know what to expect you know how many people are going to buy it so um it kind of makes life easier and less stressful. Well, I and I like the the less stressful because what shows up when I hear you say that, it doesn't put as much pressure on the closer. If the closer was a person or if the closer was the last email or the closer was the last message that's sent, you don't have to have that much pressure or that, as you were saying earlier, desperation when you've developed a, a, a solid foundation that says, hey, we're here to add value, we're, in here, we're not here to sell you. So, yeah. All right, switching up to the last role. Uh, so we have a marketer, we have a closer, then we have a leader. Mm. So what, what is, what's that, that <laughs> been for you as the role of a leader from the first years to the last few years, what what have you learned about you and how the importance or let's say not importance of of that role? It's probably my least comfortable role. Um, I mean, first of all, you know, originally I had to be my own leader for the most part because it was just me, pretty much as me. And then slowly grew. And I think one thing I've learned over time is that um you know the team uh kind of reflects my own habits so if i'm you know talking about working on weekends working all night and all that kind of stuff 
I think you end up having this expectation that everyone's supposed to do that. Whereas, you know, I, I stress over and over and over, not just publicly but privately, the importance of family and downtime and, you know, enjoy vacations and time off. And so our team does that, you know. Um, but I, I've kind of realized over the time how important it is that I model that too. And um, so, that every, every, so other people feel comfortable doing the same. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that that the leader is copied for sure. A leader can be copied for good habits, can be copied for bad habits. If you still exhibited worry like you used to in the first couple of years, it would create a ripple effect of worry within the team. So I, I do believe that. And I, I also hear you loud and clear when you're talking about your core values and your core values of family. And I have been the result of some mean texts back from you when I'm asking you yeah. questions on Saturdays and Sundays. And I'm like, it's just because it crosses my mind on the business. And then you send oh, come a very mean text back. <laughs> a very, that sounds like I'm abusive, man. That's just mean. You're just being mean. Right. Man. So, so, but yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Now, staying in the same mindset of, can you become better a marketer, a better closer, a better leader? You just said that leadership was the least certain and confident, or leader is the least confident in certain role that you, you've held. Do you do anything? Do you, have, do you read anything? Do you try it? What, 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 or are you just okay with being where you're at as a leader? Yeah, I, I think I'm mostly okay uh, with where I'm at. I'm just... It's, yeah, it's definitely uh, an uncomfortable position for me. I don't, I don't know if it's something that I can get more comfortable at. Um, it's one reason why I think I am most comfortable with a small team too, and not like, hey, let's hire fifty people from around the world and do this and that. Because uh, if we did, we'd have to hire some leaders and kind of take take my pressure, the pressure off of me as far as uh, managing all that. Um, what what would you say? Would you say that you you believe that the team that you have in place are pretty good personal leaders? Because if you have a bunch of good personal leaders, then there's not as much pressure on being a great leader. Would yeah, you, would I you think agree what's with great that? about the team we have too is um, everybody is very independent, and it's. It's kind of a, a word that I think is too buzzy, but proactive, and um, they do things w- without waiting for direction. Uh, understand their role, and uh, I mean that's that's perfect for me because if we have people sitting around waiting for me to tell them what to do, that's when it becomes difficult and really becomes a probably not a very good relationship. Yeah, I, I would agree. And for those listening, uh, the the work, the body of work that, that I think about when I listen to John's statement is, I believe, Daniel Pink. Daniel Pink is an author. And it's mastery, autonomy, and contribution. So it's mastering your job, mastering your role. Then autonomy, meaning those who like to work independently and are self-led and motivated, and then contribution, knowing what impact you're going to make. 
and I would agree that we have uh, a very self-led, you know, personal leadership group right now. And when we don't have that, which we've experienced that in the past as well, it has caused uh, a bit of friction and a bit of disconnect. So it takes some time for those that are putting your teams together, know that it's going to be, uh, it's going to take some time. Yeah, and I would, say, I would say anyone who yeah. does work for others, I mean, first of all, know the personality of your client. But I would guess that in most situations, what the client prefers is, uh, is somebody who takes on an ownership role and doesn't just sit around waiting for direction. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you execute on all these things without approval or anything, but you spot problems, you spot deficiencies, you do an audit, you do you know all this work to kind of see you know see how best you can help them. And not just once, but on a going forward basis, as opposed to, okay, you hired me. I'm waiting for you to tell me what to do. Uh, because that's not a good relationship, I think, in most cases. No, no, it's not. And I, I'm thinking about, you know, what are some of the characteristics of a very powerful leadership culture? And the one characteristic that shows up for me is, is, a, is a group that's curious, that they ask questions. You know, even if, if, if they don't, if they're not, there's no such thing as the wrong question. It's just being curious about it and asking instead of waiting. Because that, I would say that would be something that was super annoying in the past of having people that we've hired, we've outsourced. And they're like, oh, we're just waiting for you. <laughs> Man, you're just waiting for us. Yeah. Like, no, we got all this other stuff going on. You might be waiting for us on this. But what about that, 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 and that? Oh, well, that was the next thing we were. It was in the queue. Well, all that other stuff mm-hmm. is important too. So, so prioritizing, I think, like you're saying it well, with those that are lead themselves pretty well, they know how to prioritize. You know, they know how you know where to spend their time. They know that they're spending, they're doing the right things at the right time. If you don't have staff like that, then there's a lot of pressure on. You know the leader having to be that much better. You know, so I think I think now that I listen to you say that even more, you don't have to have as much pressure on being a leader. You just spend most of your time on being more of a marketer. Was that? Would you say that out of the three roles, marketer, closer, and leader? Yeah, I mean, I think I I spend the majority of my time there. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right, so there's a question Ryan asked. What bad habits are you still working on? And well, let's say mm, maybe we can break it down into marketer, closer, or leader. I don't know. Or we could just you could pick what comes to mind for you. I mean, I think you know which bad habit I'm thinking of. <laughs> no, I don't. Which bad <laughs> Drugs. <habit>? No. Um, <laughs> no. Um, I'm a procrastinator. I'm a procrastinator. And that, yeah. But that's something that, you know, we've gone back and forth on um, regarding whether that is a bad habit or if that's just the way I work. Because in general, I think what we found is um, if I, okay, if this time I don't procrastinate, is does it end up being a better product? I might be, I might have a little bit less stress. 
um, leading up to a launch, for example, or leading up to you know writing, have, publishing a blog post or whatever. But in general, I don't think it's better. And I think oftentimes having that deadline on me helps. I think it, I, I've found my brain works differently when I'm up against a deadline in a, in a productive way. Um, as opposed to this thing's not due for a couple of weeks, my my brain is a harder time being creative when I'm like I'm thinking, you know, this is, this is um, something I need to do do within two weeks. Um, let's do this step now, and I'm not inspired to do that step now. Um, I'm by no means saying you, this gives everyone license to procrastinate. Um, you can also get burned by procrastinating. I haven't really had a big burn on that yet. Like, for example, if I am putting off, putting together, let's just, and I'm not even going to say I, I'm, I'm going to do this, I would do this, but I've got a training program and I'm not going to create the, the slides until the week of the training. What happens? There's a family emergency or power goes out for a day or something like that. Or, you know, all these various things that could interrupt. Sure, I'm sure what would happen is I'd be like, hey, sorry, everybody, this thing's going to have to be delayed. And I, I think people would understand. But that said, those things are less likely to happen if I don't procrastinate. So those are the kind of, that's the risk involved uh, with pr- procrastinating. At least in my case, I don't believe it's, it's resulting in a weaker product. I think it just provides greater risk. I'm so annoyed with myself because I'm going to be recording. This is recorded, so I'm going to be going on record as saying this about procrastination. So as we talked about sleazy marketers, I believe that marketers have done a great job of marketing procrastination as a bad mm. thing as something that you don't want to do and you should buy my book so that you don't procrastinate, which to me, reading somebody else's book is you not doing the work you're <laughs> supposed to do anyway, which is procrastination or it's it's distracting you. So while I'm not going to say procrastination is bad, I'm not going to say that it's good either. Uh, knowing, watching you do your craft because I'm going to say this is an art. That is Mm. your process. This is exactly your process. Your process is to to pause or wait until the deadline becomes closer. And and that's it. That is usually the case, but I I wouldn't say that's the primary reason for it. Um, I I think, again, comes down to inspiration. So it's whenever I get the the ideas flowing through my brain that I need to get down. Um, and that often starts happening when there's some sense of urgency that, that begins building. So it also depends on how you're wired and that that sense of urgency, I know like for Lisa, my wife, it would drive her nuts if the, you know she it had does. completed step one yeah. you know, two weeks out and this and that. And because of that sense of urgency in her mind, it would probably generate that inspiration that she needed. But that's not how it, it works for me, probably because I've been through it so many times. 
Same thing with school. When I was in, you know, creating, uh, uh, when I was writing papers or doing whatever, it was always last minute. I think it was just part of my process. Um, it's it really depends on because I, I I guarantee there are people though who shouldn't be taking this as advice because you are absolutely making things worse for yourselves by procrastinating and you're creating worse products and this and that. So I think you should be very careful in how you interpret that. Yeah, and I, I've said this to you before where there's, of course, there's a study out there for anything. There's statistics out there for anything. And, you know, there's a study that says the, the group that prepared, that didn't wait to the last minute to cram they had higher GPA, they had lower stress levels, high, they were healthier. I mean, there's all these things that, that stated why procrastination can can be bad for you. And, and I don't argue with that. Like I, that, that stress right. uh, can be bad and good. I, I think there is some good to it, though, because cause that stress yeah. is kind of what inspires me. With uh, whereas trying to create stuff without any type of urgency is difficult for me. Yeah, and and we're not answering Ryan's question, yeah, so let, let me like reel this back that, in. I don't know if you call, call say I'm okay, working on, but, but I acknowledge. Right, that's what I'm saying. We're not answering that, but but that's okay. So, what would you label as a bad habit? Not not something that you do, but a bad habit is blank. Well, I mean, I think it would be anything that interferes. Um, with you know pr- productive business or relationships. Okay, Let, let's take it to yeah. baseball. So you you're a coach, and I'm going to assume that you're a good coach. I don't want to give you all the credit because I think that it's your players. It's never the coach. Uh, but with that said, you're an observer. You know, that's, the, that's one of the roles that you play as a coach. You're a leader. You're an observer. How do you know when you're observing bad habits versus good habits on the baseball field? Because uh, oftentimes you see how it may contribute to a bad result. Perfect. There we go. So that's our definition. Bad habits, the consequences of bad habits are bad results. Is that, is that a fair restate? Yeah, it's it's something that you do consistently um, that are leading to bad results. Yes, so it's a habit. So it's something that that you do every time, basically. So what do you do consistently that results <laughs> in bad results? Yeah. Um, and and just think about the business because because. I would say the reason why you're hesitating a little bit now is I think we've worked on some of your bad habits. So what were some of the bad habits that you used to have that uh, contributed to bad entrepreneurship results? Um, I'm trying to think of what – oh, I, I think, uh, you know, get, getting – Feel like I've got to handle all these negative people, respond to all these negative mm-hmm. people, and defend myself and whatnot. Not that there are a lot of them, but um, back in the day, I would let that envelop me and kind of. And I, I would absolutely lead to 
bad results because I'd, I would have a negative feeling going forward that it would impact creativity. I, I, like, I like negative feelings uh, as, as a bad result. And I would say another habit that you used to have was checking results all the time and then having an emotional mm-hmm. response, either yay or ugh. You know, so would you say that you, you don't do that as much anymore? Yeah, and I think the, you know, what's kind of developed from that is having what is clearly more of a, a long-term view of value, of results. Um, so not being all that concerned about how much traffic came in today, how much revenue came in today, but um, you know what, what's been the trend, or what what am I creating that's going to improve the trend? Um, so yeah, looking at a more long term view as opposed to yeah, is that dopamine or whatever you call it being so obsessed about by the minute how much traffic I'm getting um, in particular was insane. Yeah. Yeah. So let's flip Ryan's question upside down. What What are some good habits that you have gotten into? And we'll just call it in regard to leadership or marketing. We won't say closer, but being a better leader or better marketer, what, what are some habits that you've gotten into? I, Whenever you talk habits, I, I immediately come to routine. And because mm-hmm. routine would be where I would have maybe previously had bad habits. Um, and, and because you're basically doing the same uh, counterproductive thing every day. Yeah. Um, and so routine is keeping it simple, um, having specific things I'm going to do in a day, getting up at the same time. Um, you know, having specific tasks I got to do. Um, so I, I think those that's been really important to um, productivity. Those kind of good habits. Yeah, and and I the ones I'm working on like right now I use a, a daily planner every day for mm, I think I'm on day 75 now of using a daily planner for every day and knowing what's what promises I'm making, uh, what promises I'm keeping, some of the to-dos, uh, where my time is being spent, what, if I got down to my routines, my morning and evening routine. So, you know, for anybody who's listening, if you get to that level of precision, it, it will be less worry. Because I know I'm a worrier as well. I'm much like John's wife is that I like to have things laid out. I don't want to wait to the last minute. It's too much anxiety for me. So by by getting into that healthy routine of stating my day at the beginning of the day, like my, my routine in the morning is meditate, use an app for meditation. It is to do some body work. Uh, it could be just doing some dumbbells, doing a free weight, uh, push up something just to, to change my physical state. Then it's sometimes it's just writing in a journal a little bit to clear my head or write a bunch of questions. Today I wrote 40 questions, just 40 random questions of where my brain was going. I even wrote one today. It was how, how well are we going to do in today's John and John? Mm. That was it. And then when I started thinking about that, 
then I sent you the note, John, that said, hey, here are the, here are the two topics we can talk about today. And here are the worksheets associated with them. So um, that, that's a healthy habit for, for one to get in is to clear your head as, a, as an entrepreneur. Clear yeah, head a and I bit. would add to this that the complexity of your routine is, at least for me, is directly related to the amount of stress I have. Um, because in the beginning, which is kind of ironic, you know, back in the beginning, I really had nothing to do because <laughs> I didn't even have a business yet. But what I tried to do is control every 15 minute block of the day with I should be doing this. And so and constantly having these notifications, okay, now switch to this, this task. Okay, now do this, now do that. And um, I feel like that period of time was much, much more stressful than what I have now. And what I have now is also much more flexible. So there's no guilt, first of all, because I know I've, I've only got to do these two or three things that are on my schedule my, for today. Um, and if I do other things, great. Um, and also, it also helps me control what I will and won't do. So if someone tries to break my routine and say, hey, let's hop on a call, I can easily say no because that impacts my, my routine. Um, I have a good reason for it. And um, so having that very simplistic routine has, has created a pretty stress-free environment for the most part. Yeah. I, we, I have a comment from Andrew Foxwell. I like what he just said. He said, absolutely agree on complexity of routine. I wish I could mimic his voice because I would do it right now. Uh, I've found that giving myself more buffer time has been huge. I find that only having about three hours max schedule per day is huge mm. for me. Yeah, buffer time. That idea of looking at your schedule and seeing all no open mm. blocks or you know, meeting after meeting or call after call after call. I used to do that. I used to be infamous for thinking, wow, look at my day. It's from 7 a.m., which is every day, you know, John, you and I have that call, all the way through 3 or 4 o'clock full. And then at the end of the day, I'd be exhausted, worn out, and then the things that I needed time to do, I didn't make the time for because I was overbooked. So I think it is really powerful to, to to only only book meetings and only a couple of them a day and then use the rest of the time for work yeah because like even with you john when, when you say your creative spark when you're designing or writing or anything is hard to predict mm-hmm. it's hard to predict when it'll happen imagine if you were had one-on-ones every day for four hours a day yeah i would i wouldn't create that would be really difficult, and I'd be, I'd be working late at night. I'd be, you know, trying to find time for all these other things. That's the way I used to do it. I used to basically put out, "Here's my schedule for the week. Sign up for any time you want." And that's that's crazy, because I and I was trying to, you know, be as flexible as possible for anyone who wanted to pay to, um, you know, set up some time with me, and. Um, that just creates more stress because then you what what else? Oh, looks like John just dropped. What you also end up with in that case is um, a situation where you don't have a you don't know whether you got calls today. Unless man's like, oh, I've got calls at ten in the morning, 
and 1.30 in the afternoon. And uh, I've got to find time to do these two things, these other things, and kind of work around it. So that becomes pretty, pretty frustrating. And now I'm talking to myself. I'm not sure what happened, JR. Hold on one second. He likes to make me feel uncomfortable. I would not be surprised if JR ditched me on purpose here. I'll wait a couple seconds for him. Otherwise, it's been 48 minutes, so we can end this thing pretty quickly. If anyone has any other comments or questions, I know Andrew and Ryan are out there. Um, I can get to those. Otherwise, I'll just wrap this baby up. All right, I think we're good. So thanks to John Robinson, JR, and also thanks to Andrew Foxwell, Ryan Z, um, from our PHC Entrepreneurs Community for uh, providing a little feedback and thought as well to inspire us in this uh, uh, John and John pubcast. Um, it was fun. And uh, we'll see you again. Until next time, do awesome things. We are out.